this was about as bizarre and as easy as it gets. So the number for me was a number that would allow me to never have to work. I feel like we got top, top, top. I went from a sale of you know five hundred thousand dollars to in debt. One hundred ninety-two million dollars. This is Built to Sell Radio with your host John Warlow. This episode of Built to Sell Radio is brought to you by Prescore. What on earth is a Prescore? Pre stands for personal readiness to exit your company. And here we're looking to evaluate how personally ready you are to leave your company. You know, when you go to sell a business to have a successful exit and look back on it without regret, you need two things. Number one, a company that is attractive to an acquirer, to a company that's built to sell. And number two, you personally need to be ready to exit that business. We found that there are four drivers of a happy and lucrative exit, four ways you can personally ready yourself to exit your business. And by completing your pre-score, you are going to see how you're performing against those four major drivers of a happy and lucrative exit. Just go to prescore.com. All right, you're in for a rare treat because today on the show, we're going to talk to a president, a hired gun, somebody who ran a company on behalf of an owner. And I love this episode because for you, as the owner of your company, my guess is from time to time, you contemplate the idea of bringing in a 2IC, a second in command, a general manager, someone to sort of run the business day to day. And that's exactly what Jim Brown did when he brought in my next guest, Ken Kramer, to run his company, TerraLine. TerraLine was a software business. Ken came in and ran the day to day. And in this episode, we talked to Ken about what it was like to work with Jim, in particular through the acquisition. We talk about what, in this case, the acquirer map anything looked for in terms of the strategic value in TerraLine. We looked at the relationship Jim and Ken had and how Ken was compensated to help participate in, and get to the finish line uh, with the acquisition through map anything. Uh, lots of great stuff here with this interview with Ken Kramer. Ken Kramer, welcome to Built to Sell Radio. Hi, John. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, I'm excited to hear about TerraLine. What did you guys do? What's What was the company doing? Sure. So TerraLine was um, a relatively older company, uh, bootstrapped, no, um, no VC backing. Uh, our focus in life was helping companies design the best possible territories so that the sales reps, you could maximize the utilization and capacity of your sales resources across the board. So you've got um, like a company like Xerox or some pharmaceutical company and if they've got like 50, 60, 100 sales reps and they've got to cover the whole country, your software would sort of optimize that for? Cor- correct. Yeah. And, and you know, the, the pharmaceutical example is a great one. That's actually where we got our start. Uh, Upwards, uh, literally upwards to 30 years ago, um, we were a division of another company and uh, predominantly in the consulting space, a lot of uh, government kind of contracts, uh, but we had a bunch of PhDs that wrote a lot of optimization algorithms and Pfizer had asked us to uh, see if we could optimize their sales force. Um, so that was the beginning of it. And uh, you know, from there, we had built software around that. That was a repeatable solution. 
Um, we obviously sold into the farm industry and then CPG medical products, uh, had very there. similar, uh, sorry about consumer that. Product uh, goods. Yeah. Consumer goods. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, both of those industries, med products, uh, consumer goods, um, acted in very similar manners to, to the pharma industry from, um, from a sales coverage perspective and a out, uh, outside selling, uh, perspective, covering accounts hitting them X number of times per month, per year, that type of thing. So and trying to reduce drive time is really what it came down to was more time selling, less time driving. Right. Because yeah, you don't want your reps driving between appointments. You want to optimize their, you know, to, to decrease the number of miles they have to move. So was the, was it mostly mapping that was, I guess you're taking into consideration, obviously the geographic footprint of the prospect universe but also were you also taking into consideration things like opportunity size in that market or other kind of variables as well as the just geographic geography? Correct. Yeah. So we, uh, our solution had a, uh, a mapping interface. So the core interface was a map, which just makes sense. People visually uh, see geographic territories, either uh, typically groups of zip codes shaded together or groups of accounts. So, green dots, blue dots, uh, et cetera, to represent each territory. Um, however, we, we didn't necessarily consider ourselves a, um, a mapping company, but we certainly leveraged uh, that mapping interface from the core. From a des territory design and optimization perspective, there was uh, three things that our algorithms attempted to do, and that was uh, create balance. So you're, you're creating uh, territories that have the same amount of something uh, in respect to each other. Uh, and that would either be a workload component or an opportunity component. Um, uh, we wanted to create compact territory. So you weren't driving uh, through one territory to get to, to your own territory back and forth. Um, and we wanted to minimize disruption. So when we went through realignment process, we were able to create the best possible territories without, <clears throat> excuse me, without having to reassign every single one of them. You want to reduce the number of reassignments you were making. Got it. How did you come to run this company? So <clears throat> I had, uh, had multiple touch points with Terraline. Um, I actually did, uh, early in my career, I was working at MapInfo, which was a, a mapping company, and Terraline was a, a partner of ours. We should be clear, um, Ken. We should be clear for for our audience. You did not. You weren't the founder and sole owner of TerraLine. You you were you were brought in at some point as president. So I just wanted to make that clear. I'd just love to know how that came about. Sure, sure, sure. So I was brought in. So I'd had a relationship with TerraLine multiple times. As I was saying, was uh, I OEM their technology. I worked in the sales comp space and I partnered with them because territories and, and sales comp go together. Um, and then after the fallout of another acquisition that I went through, I, I went to work directly for Terraline. And initially I, I went in uh, running partnerships and marketing, uh, eventually getting promoted to take over sales and marketing and then promoted up to president um, the beginning of 2018, I guess it was. Got it. So how big a company was TerraLine before it was acquired by Map Anything? Yeah, I, I, uh, it was not a big company. It was uh, definitely, I would describe it as a small company. 
a lot of people would look at me and say it's a startup and I say no we're cash flow positive we have customers we have product and we've been around for in some cases decades depending on when that conversation took place um, but we were a relatively small company I'll say we had between uh, 10 and 50 employees um, I'm still trying to, to to work through all of my uh, NDAs and non-disclosures you know, and what I'm allowed to say not uh, because uh, because it's changed hands twice now in the past six months. So um, um need to be a little bit vague on that side of things. Got it. Okay, fair enough. So it was a relatively small company, cash flow positive that had been around for quite some time. I'd love to explore your relationship with the Terraline owner, uh, you know, Jim uh, Brown. Sure. Because I think a lot of our listeners um, would find themselves as, as, as hired guns, in other words, like you, uh, running a company but not necessarily owning all of it. Equally, I think we have a lot of listeners who are owners and are curious about the idea of bringing in professional managers, professional you know, president, 2IC, second, whatever you want to describe that person as. I'd be curious to know what advice you would provide uh, owners thinking about bringing in someone like yourself, a, a president, to run the company. Uh, sure. So I, I can obviously comment on on my experience, mm -hmm. um, and and even that of what I saw, uh, ironically, in similar situations with a competitor of ours, which uh, to some extent had an impact on on our direction as well. Um, you know, I'd, I'd known, known Jim for uh, probably 10 years before I went to work for him. And then obviously another 10 plus uh, in working for him. Um, and he, you know, I, I, I can't say I was brought in as a hired gun by any means. Uh, this was, um, you know, this was his organization. It was, this was his company. Um, I also don't know if I could really describe him as a, a founder necessarily. As mentioned earlier, this was a ultimately a division of another company, um, and then uh, they divested some of those divisions, and he was able to. Uh, he had been running that division, and he was able to to walk away with with ownership of that uh, division and created as a, an independent company uh, in the early two thousands. Um, I guess. Uh, you know, my experience was interesting. It was one where um, I knew Jim was extremely smart. Uh, I knew we had a great solution. We had great customers. Uh, we had great uh, employees. Um, therefore, uh, and obviously, I also thought we had a great opportunity. So it was one of the reasons I, I was interested in, in joining. Um, at times, uh, without a doubt, there's going to be frustration. Um, I'm able to look back in my career and say um, the amount of frustrations I had here were definitely lesser than in other places. What kinds uh, of stuff would or you, different? What kinds of stuff would you butt heads over? So, um, largely, uh, I, I guess in, in a nutshell, I could say I wanted to to spend more money and invest more and grow faster, and uh, he wanted to make sure that we maintain profitability. And Why was that important to you? To me, that's a, it's a, it's because that's, uh, uh, because it was his, he doesn't want to lose money. 
um, and perhaps he's a, he's more risk adverse, and it's uh, certainly easier for me to 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 be willing to take more risk when it's with other people's money. Uh, however, I do believe I I would have attempted the same uh, risk level of risk if it were mine as well. And obviously, I had something at stake, but not to his level. So you you know the typical conflict that's probably too strong a word but the t- maybe typical disagreement <laughs> would have been you looking to invest to grow and and him saying let's use our existing kind of cash flow and stay positive and stay profitable yeah yeah in, in yeah in general yeah absolutely um and and it was also you know him having uh, more trust in the team and you know the past few years of the organization was largely centered around uh, him getting himself out of the day to day and um, putting together the structure so that he was comfortable that we could we could run the business without him and he could he could be out of the day to day altogether. I love this line of conversation because this is so much part of of what we talk about all day long is is how does an owner pull him or herself out of the day to day so what sorts of things did you do with jim to to get him out of the day to day like what, what had the most meaningful impact? What sorts of tactics? I, uh, I threw one of my colleagues under the bus and made him take control of all the stuff I didn't want to do. <laughs> um, and while I'm joking a little bit, it, to some extent it was true. Uh, you know, Jim laid out uh, the description of the tasks and the type of person he needed. And I immediately said, um, you know, if you turn me into you, uh, we're not going to grow and I'm not going to be as good as uh, at those tasks and nobody's going to be doing the things that I'm doing to help grow the organization. Um, while we had somebody who was extremely detail-oriented who, who could learn the G&A side of the business to help keep uh, the foundation in place um, and it was you know, somewhat painful for, for him to have to start splitting his time between his original responsibilities and and this, it was, it was without a doubt the right decision. You, you lost me totally, Ken, in terms of... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> like, no, you, you refer to him, and I'm not sure who you're referring to. So, so let's start with, so it, what did Jim do in order to pull himself out of the day-to-day running of the company? What did Jim specifically yeah. Ultimately, he, he elevated three of us in the, in the organization. Um, so while he made me president, he also promoted two other uh, team members into uh, management positions, um, and with one of them in particular, turned over the the bulk of the GNA what is uh, GNA responsibilities. Sam? What is GNA? Uh, general administrative, you know, the accounting, the HR, the paying the bills, all the all the stuff to run a business that you know. We always want somebody else to take care of. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so you're you are you're anointed the president or promoted in that way. Um, what was what was the most challenging part of taking over for Jim? If you had a do over to to get that right the next time, what might you do differently to to sort of make that smoother? Yeah, I, I don't think. Um... I don't think there was a lack of smoothness because I had been running uh, a third of the organization prior and uh, the, the, the two other groups within the organization 
each had solid leaders. Um, so we were we were okay from that perspective. I think the the you know if if I could have it you know my way or another way, it, it, it again would have come down to investing more so that there would have been um, there would have been more people. Uh, I still, while I was president, I still managed the sales team uh, and the marketing team directly. Um, you know, I didn't, I didn't backfill myself. Every time I had gotten promoted at Terraline, it, it wasn't that I moved from one position into another. It was that I, that, that I just took on more responsibility and, and added to what I was doing. How did you get compensated or share in the participation and growth of Terraline? It, did you guys get options or did you... How did you sort of participate in what Jim was trying to create? Sure. I, um, you know, Jim and I had negotiated early on so that um, I had something equivalent to options. Got it. Got it. So that they would become valuable in the event of a change of ownership? Correct. Got it. Got it. And if you had it to do over again, again, hindsight being 2020, is there anything that you might change about that plan that others could learn from if they were thinking about something similar? Yeah, it's, um, there's a lot of little details that you learn about after going through some of these. Um, and yeah, the, the good and the bad is, is, Jim and I knew each other a long time and he was an extremely trusting, you know, trustworthy person. And so some of this was in writing, some of it wasn't necessarily in writing, all of it came to fruition, but uh, you know, some of these things I'd probably recommend to folks to, to make sure they talk to, talk to somebody who's been involved in writing employment contracts and agreements. Um, I was actually probably, you know, one of the few presidents of a software company who didn't actually, who didn't have an employment, uh, agreement in place. Um, uh, as opposed to, you know, most people at this level would, uh, especially going to a new unknown company would come in with a, you know, at least a couple year agreement in place. Yeah, so for that sure. Spelled out all, that spelled out all of these things. How were, how was your agreement structured with Jim? I mean, was it a handshake deal on the, on the options piece or was, was, was that at least yeah, we, we had, we had things, yeah, no, we had things in writing for that, for that as well. What advice can, would you have if, if a, a buddy of yours said, Hey, Ken, can I buy you a drink? I'd love to just, you know, I'm, I've been, I've been told I've been offered a role to come in as president and, you know, a chief operating officer, for example, of uh, a company I'm not sure what to, to sort of negotiate for. What are sort of the gotchas? Like, what advice would you give that person if they came to you and said, can I buy a drink? Sure. Um, well, first I'd say yes and have a drink. Um, <laughs> second, um, I, I think it really depends on where that person is in their, in their life and what's important to them. Um, I think there's kind of, a base salary that people are comfortable with their living with and then everything else is upside for the most part. So, um, it, it really depends on, on what you're looking for. 
uh, obviously there's things, you know, there's, there is the, the reason your show exists and why we're talking now is, is there are change of control, um, uh, activities that happen. Uh, so you want to make sure you understand how that, uh, has an impact. You need to make sure you, you know, if you're coming in as CEO, who, who are you working for? Is there a board of directors? Um, and what are the expectations and make sure that your employment agreement is, is in alignment with what their expectations are? Um, this, you know, this goes back to kind of the, the real basics of the sales comp space that I was in for years is, uh, people behave based upon how they get paid. So, um, make sure that, uh, you know, that the, that the goals are in alignment. Um, Jim and I had spoken, you know, for years, uh, about potentially exiting. Um, and the, the, the biggest belief behind that was with more resources as part of somebody else who were complementary with, um, we could grow faster. We would create more opportunities for uh, our employees. We would uh, sell more of our solution that we believed in. Uh, so long-term, we, we ultimately knew that. Um, but a lot of it really had to do with where Jim was at in, in his life um, and when he was ready to be able to step aside and not have to go out and find another job kind of thing. Right. And how would you stick handle the inherent sort of challenge, if you will, this relates back to your comment about you know, making sure your employment agreement is structured around the goals that you're aligned with the founder. How would you align goals when, when there's that inherent sort of conflict where you as a president, you're using other people's money, you're, you're most likely to want to grow and, and the founder, it's their money, they're most likely to want to, to in most cases, ensure that they stay profitable. How do you? How would you structure that if you had it to do over again? Yeah, it, it's um, it's it's like anything else. You have to find a, a compromise. And and when we were selling the organization, I was I was selling internally as much as I was externally. I felt as though uh, we could find a buyer almost anytime we wanted. Uh, because we have great technology uh, and great customers um, that I, I was, I, I hadn't typically been concerned with that. There's always been a, a little bit of interest around us. We were a unique company selling somewhat of a niche product, but it offered a lot of value and it was very complimentary to a few other things, but it was making sure that everybody else internally was on board as well. And, I think how that relates to your question is, is, is we're going to be worth more if we grow. It's okay. Uh, I, I don't, you know, you, you know, there's always levers. It's you can suck out a certain amount of money and grow less, or you can suck out less and grow a little more. Um, but from a valuation standpoint, uh, we were a small organization that had been flat uh, at times and, had had growth at times, but uh, even through that growth, it was often, um, you know, limited growth. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't uh, high growth as, as a lot of VC back companies are experiencing. Got it. Okay. That's, that's helpful for sure. Let's move to 
the the actual acquisition of Terraline by Map Anything. What uh, what precipitated the conversations? Did 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 you guys? Like, was there a straw that broke the camel's back? It sounded like you and Jim had had lots of conversations over the years about potentially exiting. What took those from just casual conversations to more serious negotiations? Sure. I, I think we had, I think we had ultimately decided we would be proactive about it in 2019. Um, we, we were waiting, we, we were finishing up our uh, major up grade of a product getting to be a fully SaaS-based solution, um, which was a tremendous effort. Um, and we, we were looking at that and a handful of other things and, and told ourselves internally, and this was, you know, a year or a year or more ago, we'd probably start that effort in 2019. The reality is, is people started approaching us in 2018. Um, John Stewart is the, was the, founder and CEO of Map Anything, and he and I had had conversations on and off, you know, for years. Um, they had a solution that was very complimentary to ours, and there was times when they'd refer people to us and we'd refer people to them. What did, what did, Map, um, Anything, what did Map Anything do? Map Anything does uh, route optimization. So we helped design a territory. They would, they would put a tool in the hands of each rep to optimize their route so that uh, they could see more accounts in less time. And also uh, their solution was natively built inside of Salesforce. Um, so it was basically giving them the ability to map out their customers, uh, see it visually, know who to go visit based upon whatever criteria the rep wanted to put in there. And then, uh, you know, have the, the schedule optimization and the route optimization um, to, to get some of the same benefits we had or incremental benefits that we had by designing the best territory to begin with. Got it. So you were largely complementary to one another as opposed to competitor. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Correct. So going back. So 2018, you've, you've had a few sort of casual conversations with folks. When does it start to get more serious? Yeah. So John and I had spoken multiple times and then, uh, you know, last summer, uh, I think was the first time we actually put an NDA in place. And I said, all right, John's, John's getting serious. <laughs> um, and and mean, meanwhile, um, uh, six, six to nine months earlier than that, one of our competitors uh, was acquired. Um, and and we, a uh, company called Exactly, uh, which does sales compensation, bought a line star. Um, and exactly had previously been taken uh, exactly had previously been taken private uh, by Vista Equity Partners. Okay, do you know what do you know what they paid for it? I do not. I'd heard I'd heard various rumors um, and, and like us they were small privately held organizations. What were the rumors? Um, rumors were that they they did okay from a multi, multiple uh, multiplier perspective. Um, What's okay? What's okay? Uh, I, 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 yeah, I can't get into that. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. No problem. Even, even if it was just rumors and that's speculation and then you, too many, too many hands removed here for me oh, to okay. even, even get into that. Right. Um, I, I believe that a line star did, uh, there was, uh, there was uh, one deal I've told people that I think changed, uh, you know, helped, help change history or help change the future was 
uh, they beat us on one deal, um, and it was to a Vista private equity uh, portfolio company. And I said, someday that's going to you know, come back to bite us. And one, it helped them sell to other portfolio companies. And two, that led to their relationship with Vista and the ability to then get tucked into uh, exactly as exactly became a, a Vista portfolio company as well. So, and they were in a similar situation. They had had, um, you know, an owner and founder of the company running it for years and years and years. And then he had brought in somebody um, to really help uh, help them grow up a little bit more, increase sales, and and, and and ultimately exit. Got it. Okay, so back to the TerraLine story. So you're having conversations yeah. with John. You, you sign an NDA, non-disclosure agreement. Then where does it go from there? Um, negotiations with him. We had had uh, discussions with a handful, uh, a small group of other companies as well that had approached us. Um, and, and then it was, you know, ultimately internally, um, everybody started zeroing in on, on roughly the same numbers that weren't tremendous from a, a multiple perspective. It was, at least it was a multiplier, but not a, not a large one because of our, um, relatively slow continued growth. You're talking about to a multiple, growth. Were you looking for a multiple of revenue or a multiple of EBITDA? Yeah. A multiple of revenue. Uh, revenue. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Uh, and, um, it, you know, what we found by talking to multiple companies was, um, you know, they were all roughly talking, give or take the same amount of money. And then, it, it, you know, to us, it became one, can we get, you know, where can we get the most from? But two, and probably more importantly, is where do we think is the best, best place for us to land? Um, we we had a small organization. We wanted everybody, virtually everybody, to have jobs. We we ultimately got to a point where um, I believe we got a fair offer, um, not a not a tremendous one, but a fair offer from a, a valuation standpoint, and uh, a place where all but one employee um, made the transition. What would you expect? Sorry, Ken, what would you expect a, like a small, low growth, low growth, profitable software company to trade at in terms of a multiple of revenue? Like what would the, the rough kind of, what would you expect? Like, are, are we talking one yeah. to two times, two to three? Like what's the. Yeah, I, I was going to, I was going to say one to three, um, yeah. uh, you know, and it all really depends on uh, uh, growth level, profitability, uniqueness something yeah okay um, one and just to be clear one to three times and to me, yeah correct and and also you know one of the things we didn't do um that i i still i feel as though we could have sold for more um and i'm not sure if we would have benefited necessarily by selling for more if we had brought in a banker so we were doing this on our own which was um Possibly not necessarily not not the smartest thing, um, but when we you know the bankers obviously will throw out bigger numbers, um, but then uh, their fees come into play. I believe the holdbacks get bigger, so on and so forth, and the structure of the deal changes, and the bottom line 
um, isn't necessarily tremendously bigger. And, and uh, so because we kind of got deep into this process without attempting to sell ourselves, um, we didn't go down the path of having a, a banker represent us. Um, I, I believe we would have learned a lot more uh, doing so. I don't know if the outcome would have been tremendously different. That's interesting. How did you and Jim, uh, the, the founder, I, I guess, majority shareholder of Terraline, how did you guys sort of divvy up responsibilities when it came to these exit conversations with John Stewart at Map Anything and the other conversations you were having? Um, I took the lead on the majority of the efforts and um, the the folks that were uh, read in were, uh, you know, Jim, myself, the other two folks on the executive team, and one other employee was a, a significant minority um, shareholder. Um, so we had, you know, we had the five of us. Um, I took the lead on the majority of it and brought the other folks in and, and including Jim as, as needed where, where necessary, where it made sense. Um, yeah. So we, we'd line up whatever calls and meetings, wherever, wherever needed. I'm surprised that, that Jim was so uh, willing to let you lead these conversations was, if, as you look back, was there, do, do you have any sense of why he, he chose to let you lead them? Um, I guess, what am I, why am I asking that? I guess when it comes to the value of the equity, I would have envisioned him playing a more active role unless the conversation started as potential partnerships and then sort of evolved into acquisition conversations. Sure. Um, I, I'd say, so... With Jim, it was relatively cut and dry. <laughs> um, he says, if 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 uh, if you if you get X, and and the rest of the team is on board, then we're fine. If we don't, then then we're not. Um, <laughs> so he had a clear he, he sense of what X was in his mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, you know. And uh, the great thing about knowing Jim was. There was never any games. There was never, you know, he he really was the type of guy that if, um, you know, if somebody threatened to walk or whatever, he'd let him walk. Or, you know, whether it was an employee, a customer, uh, a buyer, or whatever it may be, um, he was he was easier to negotiate with than people recognized because there was there was no actual games and people didn't necessarily always realize that. <laughs> and did you reveal Jim's number at any point to John and the team at map anything? No. So you knew what it was, but they didn't. Correct. How did the rest of the executive team feel about Jim's number? Meaning you guys were all participating on some level in this exit. If, if you had gotten Jim's number, but not a penny more, how would you have felt about the transaction? Um, all of us ultimately were more concerned about, uh, what the future looked like more so than what the selling price looked like. Why? The selling price wasn't huge. Our take on it wasn't life altering. It was nice. It was a good bonus for the, the years of hard work everybody put in. Um, 
but it was really all about how can we put ourselves in a position to to grow this thing and to to make the next several years uh you know fun exciting successful so on and so forth that's helpful how much I'm assuming you were able to get Jim's number because he was such a bottom line guy. Were you able to get a premium on Jim's number? Um, probably a small one. I, I, you know, I, I don't remember exactly, but uh, probably, a, probably a small one, but not a, nothing significant. Got it. Got it. What was the most contentious part of the negotiation with Map Anything? Um, we had a, hmm. <laughs> I'm trying to catch myself. I'm trying to decide if I'm allowed to talk about it or not. Um, I, at one point in time, they were, we had a piece of the business that they weren't sure they wanted and we wanted to keep the whole thing together. Mm. It, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't a hundred percent, uh, up their alley. Um, but uh, we were able to teach them more about it, show them the value of it, um, and and the value of keeping you know keeping the team together. You're kind of hanging Chad to use the the Florida election uh, <laughs> analogy. We talk a lot about the idea of of sort of Neapolitan companies where you know there's one piece that that an acquirer is desperate to to get their hands on, but then there's some other things that perhaps came about through cross-selling or, or different product ideas where they just kind of messy the waters a little bit for acquisitions. They, they, they potentially, some, some acquirers look at them and say, I don't really want that. It's like the, when you get cable television and, and you're asked to pay for all these channels you're never going to use, it sounds like a conversation that, that you had to get through with, with those guys around something like that. Yeah, definitely. Talk to me about the ultimate acquisition of Map, Map Anything by Salesforce, because it was not long after Map Anything acquired you guys that Map Anything itself got acquired. How did that come about? So <laughs> that was uh, my belief on that was it was the the perfect outcome uh, for Map Anything, and and even ideal, you know for me and our team, if it, if from my perspective, if it happened two years later, um, <laughs> Why? I think the way, uh, personally, I was, I was excited as, as I suggested that where we ended up and the next couple years of, of having the resources and being able to sell market our product with, with a, a bigger company and complementary product, we were excited about that. So uh, landing at Map Anything, we thought was was perfect. It was uh, you know high growth company, complementary product. We have the resources now. We're not um, scrimping and saving and and cutting corners or anything like that. Uh, you know, you know there was no there was there was no uh, multi strategy. The strategy was growth. Um, so we were excited about that uh, and really wanted to to kind of see that through these next couple of years. Um, I, I think the way that uh, the reason that the acquisition came about, um, Salesforce had been an investor um, in two rounds of, uh, 
of um, I think B and C, if I'm not mistaken, of fundraising for Map Anything. So, and their products were built natively inside of Salesforce. Um, so there'd been a close, tight relationship there. Uh, obviously, uh, virtually all of the Map Anything sales were going to Salesforce customers, um, and I think they saw the same promise you know, that others did that, that we saw that other people saw in map anything. And instead of, instead of waiting for more growth and paying a big multiplier on a bigger number, they, they took them out a, a little earlier than personally I was hoping for. But, um, yeah, that did happen, uh, relatively quick, but from a uh, map anything perspective, um, you know, fantastic. You know, John and, and his team had, uh, built a great company, um, grew quickly, uh, built a great relationships at Salesforce. And, and um, you know, I don't even know if they consider it really an outcome. It's obviously it's an exit, um, but they're obviously looking forward to the, to those next phases of growth, but uh, likely at a higher rate than they were doing on their own. Talk to me about how the Terra line acquisition by Map Anything was structured in the sense of future payments. So you had, you had agreed to be acquired by Map Anything. Was part of the acquisition price to be paid in the future? The reason I'm asking, no. of course, is I'd love to... Okay, so it was all just sort of cash at closing. Yeah. Okay, so when... And it was, it was yeah, yeah. And it, you know, I have a... Uh, my brother-in-law is working for Red Hat, and they announced their acquisition with IBM last uh, last fall, maybe. And and in the interim, you know, we we negotiated, sold, closed, moved on <laughs> in a whole lot less time than you know the IBM Red Hat acquisition being uh, you know significantly lar- exponentially larger hasn't yet closed yet. So we were we were small enough um to to be able to wrap up that deal and uh, immediately start integrating the teams what happened to the Terra line employees when salesforce bought map anything um most of them transitioned a couple of us uh, did not but most of them transitioned and how was that for you did did you want to transition over to salesforce was it an option like how did that play out um I'm going to say, yes, it was an option, but I can't go into a whole lot of other detail. Got it. And I guess, you know, one of the things that we've had on the show before, I, I go back to uh, the early days of Built to Sell Radio where we've interviewed a, f- a few people who, you know, when company A buys company B, um, it all is wonderful. And then company A itself gets acquired and it all hell breaks. loose. <laughs> so <laughs> it, it is interesting to contemplate things like your employment agreement and, and any option vesting, et cetera, in the event that your acquire itself gets acquired, which is not that unusual. In fact, uh, I would, uh, I'd agree with that statement. I'm not sure if there was a question there, but uh, no, it was me just yeah. kind of rambling. <laughs> I realize yeah, that we're, yeah. I realize you have to be careful about what you say for obvious reasons and you're kind of parsing uh, words and I, I can't totally get it. 
so I was just more talking directly to, to my listeners saying that it can be really exciting and intoxicating to get an acquisition offer. And in many cases, that acquisition offer comes with an employment agreement and potentially some future consideration from the company that, that acquires you. And I think what your lawyer probably will want to contemplate and what you should think about is what happens if the acquirer itself gets acquired. And uh, that's just something that, uh, that yeah. you should think about. Yeah. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. Um, and it's, you know, it's, uh, the one thing out there that's pretty obvious is that Salesforce is a tremendous company. Yeah. Um, so, you know, part of the, the concerns uh, those of us in management had at Terraline was without more growth, um, what were the career paths for our employees? Um, we could promote people, but ultimately they were doing the same job with the senior title. Um, unless if we grew, we couldn't continue to hire more people and have career paths. So, so the exit for us um, to map anything was going to a company that was larger and that had career paths and more options and, and uh, directions that folks could go and, and the, uh, be in a position where they could learn more things um, and, you know, personally grow themselves. Um, the subsequent acquisition is the same thing, you know, another hundred times over. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How did, how did Jim transition through this whole process? Did he make the change from Terra line over to map anything and in turn stay at Salesforce or did he kind of step away? At no, no, he stepped away. He did not transition to, to map anything. That was, uh, that was part of the, the plan. Um, that was part of the plan prior to the acquisition was to structure the company so that if and when acquired, he wouldn't be needed. Another thing to consider if bringing in yeah. you know, professional managers. What's, what's the last time, what was the last time you interacted with Jim like? How, how has that relationship been sustained over years? We're, we're good. It's, um, yeah, we've, we've talked, uh, I guess it's probably been, uh, maybe a month. I don't know, probably not too much more than a month, but we've, we've probably spoken at least every month, uh, since last, it's only been since last November. So, um, so, so we're fine. Uh, he's, um, you know, still cleaning up some of the, uh, the last remains here and there, but, um, yeah, we um, we still talk, um, and he still stays in touch with uh, some of the other employees as well. Um, keep in mind, I was there for 12 years, and I've probably known Jim for over 20. Um, some of the other employees have been there for 20 to 30 years. Wow. Um, so it was a <laughs> – I've often said it was a weird little software company, but um, – uh, uh, it's like the it opposite is, uh, of what you imagine when you think of a software company in your mind, you close your eyes. It's like the absolute opposite of everything you it's, imagine. It's, it's opposite of a VC backed startup. Um, you know, there was, there was no politics. There was no water cooler chit chat. Uh, there was a lot of smart people that got their job done and took care of our customers. How did you tell those people that TerraLine had been acquired by yeah. Map Anything? Um, we immediately had a conference call after we, uh, after we signed the agreement. 
and um, the agreement ripped off the, the, ripped, ripped off the bandaid. <laughs> okay, so when you say when you say the agreement, are you referring to like a letter of intent, or are you referring to the actual share purchase agreement? Like the wire had already been processed. The wire. Okay, so wire gets yep. processed, and you organize a, a tele, telephone com, conference call. Yeah, the majority of our company uh, worked remotely. About half of the folks were based in uh, Northern Virginia and, and the rest kind of scattered across the, the East Coast. How many, hours, um, how many hours were there between the wire being processed, confirmation of the wire that had been processed and the actual conference call taking place? Are we talking hours, days, weeks? Uh, I was going to say less than, probably less than two. <laughs> two hours. Um, two hours, yeah. It was, okay. it was same day. What, yeah. So how did you handle that phone call? Um, yeah, we had prepped a little bit for it with some, you know, uh, with some, uh, notes and, and FAQs. Um, uh, and then, um, you know, again, relatively small company, but being able to, to have literally one conversation with one person who was not going to transition, um, and, the same conversation with everybody else uh, made it a little bit easier. Um, so we could get everybody on board and say, look, this is, this is what's going to happen. Um, a couple of our folks were actually based in Charlotte where Map Anything was headquartered. Um, so for them, they were going to have an office to go into and uh, actually be at headquarters and, um, you know, be able to meet a lot more folks uh, and see them more often than everybody else. So there was uh, some good upside. Uh, from that perspective, uh, plus the map, anything offices were were pretty awesome. Yeah, uh, you know, it is when you think of a, a, a high growth uh, uh, organization. It, you know, it, it did have a good hip vibe to it. Um, great people down there. So, uh, so that was good for those folks. Um, anybody who who did want to be in that area was offered uh, the ability to to relocate, um, and then. You know, we we walked through how things were going to change, what the you know what things were going to look like from um, you know job offers and so on and so forth. Uh, but uh, uh, who they were going to report to, um, you know, for the most part, we were broken as I mentioned before, kind of into three teams, and those those teams got to stay pretty whole. What was the reaction of the team? Um. Vast majority of them were uh, very surprised. Um, uh, I think the ability, uh, I think the fact that we are uh, remote um, gave us the ability to keep it quieter so there wasn't rumblings and rumors and distractions going on while this was happening. Um, there were one or two folks that said, yeah, it makes a whole hell of a lot of sense when I look back at these kind of weird things that might have happened. <laughs> um, but uh, so there was definitely, you know, a little bit of surprise. Um, but at the same time, they, you know, they recognized that there's, there's a, a bigger opportunity, uh, you know, both for, um, you know, for the product and, and for themselves. Why did you keep it secret? Um, because until something closes, it's not closed and you don't know if it's going to close. Um, and people have, 
you know, any kind of disruption, any kind of rumor like these things causes people to lose focus on what they're going to do. We were, we were doing this during Q4. Um, you know, we had, we had revenue uh, that we needed to bring in. We had products we needed to get done. We had projects we needed to deliver. Um, so to, to, you know, to introduce something that would cause uh, a distraction and, and, you know, reason for people to, you know, start talking and saying, well, what's going to happen? What if this, what if that? Um, and then typically, which I've never quite understood is, is people often want to jump ship and go find themselves another job because of some uncertainty. And my belief is, well, yes, there's always going to be uncertainty, but why not, you know, see what the other side looks like first, examine it from the inside um, before you, you know, blind faith, take a new job with a new organization where you don't know anything about them. Um, so, yeah, I, I just, I think you have to keep these things quiet. I've been, I've been through a number of them with, with bigger organizations and there's always rumors and there's always distractions. Um, and, uh, yeah. <laughs> Jim, did you run into any employees? Cause I mean, this was not a, as you, in, in your own words, you know, this is not a venture back company with a bunch of young kids playing foosball. This is people who've been in the company for 10, 20, 30 years who've dedicated a huge chunk, if not all of their professional life to Terraline. Did, did anybody approach you and say, Jim, how could you not tell me? Um, I don't know. I don't know if anybody asked Jim that, um, or the guys that no, the guys that work for me directly um, fully understood. They they fully understood, and quite frankly, even you know, at Map Anything, at one point in time, somebody said to me, "Is you know, if there's something going on here, I know you're not going to be allowed to tell me, so I'm not going to ask you anything where you'll have to lie to me." <laughs> what well, sounded like. Um, it sounds like there was tremendous upside. If people thought about it, you know, in a sober way, there was tremendous upside for all of the Terraline employees to go to map anything. So presumably that, yeah. yeah, there was certainly a lot more long-term uh, opportunities yeah. without a doubt. Um, but yeah, things, you know, things, yeah, things change. Things are always different things. You know, it did, it didn't quite turn out exactly as I hoped it was, you know, the first, uh, three, four months we were there, I felt like we were, we were, I felt like there was immediate success based upon the acquisition. I felt like we were, we were selling more product than we had been selling before um, and, and doing it almost immediately. Um, so I think we had proved out that it made sense from that perspective. Um, I did not anticipate the, the, the subsequent acquisition by Salesforce. Um, but uh, um, I would imagine that they'll recognize that same immediate uh, uh, success and growth and validation to that acquisition as well. If you'd had to do that teleconference call over again, the one that you did a couple hours after the check cleared, what, what might you do differently? Is there a slide you might pull or an area that you might delve further into? I mean, it sounds like the kind of thing where you don't have a lot of time, you've got to kind of pull it together quickly. Is there anything you might try differently or say differently or do differently? Um, I, I, 
That one, I honestly don't know. We we put together a, a sh- very short deck, or I don't even know if we use the deck and just use it as talking notes at this point. I can't quite remember, but um, uh, I, I feel as though at the time we were able to lay out what was happening and why and, and, and what things were going to look like. Um, and all of those things, you know, occurred. What was, um, what was Jim's demeanor on that call? Um, he, uh, you know, he, he viewed this whole thing as a a positive next step for Terrelline. Um, and he, he, he was, uh, you know, happy for, happy for the team, um, and the opportunity that we were all going to get. Like a proud father walking his down the aisle (laughs) at her wedding. Yeah, perhaps. Yeah. Was there any sense of resentment towards Jim? I mean, here, here you guys are building this company together as a sort of family. It sounds like, and then he kind of he walks off with the big check. Did Did anyone feel resentful? I don't think so. I, I think um, uh, you know, Jim is always an extremely open and honest guy, and and. Uh, um, would happily explain his position on things. Um, and, uh, you know, I think anybody that had worked with him for, for all of those years and, you know, a couple of the folks we had had, had worked for him twice. You know, they, they left, uh, um, started looking, you know, they left, they went to other jobs, were looking for other jobs again and ended up back at Terraline, uh, knowing what they were getting into. So, um, you know, to, for us to have the, the tenure um, that we had was, was interesting. And, you know, you know, folks had opportun- other opportunities. Um, so, uh, uh, and I think they always knew where, where they stood. They understood that, um, you know, it was, it was Jim's company. So uh, I don't think there was any resentment there. I think they all got, you know, if, if they asked for something and, and he believed they deserved it, he gave it to them. <laughs> and if not, he would explain why not. <laughs> and what are you, what are you up to now? It doesn't sound like you, you, you made the transition over to Salesforce for your own choices. It sounds like, well, what, what are you up to now? What is life looking like for you now? What's next? I am, uh, well, I'm, I'm trying to relax. <laughs> um, how's that working out it's, it's uh i i went golfing yesterday and it was i play golf every thursday i play nine holes of golf in a week uh and i've done it for years and years and um have been able to keep that you know throughout work most of the time i don't miss too many of them for work but when i have to i have to but that was all i ever played was those nine holes yesterday was the first time i actually got an extra round of golf in the uh, indulgence is unbelievable (laughs) 18 holes of golf you'll have 18 holes of golf so that was that was that was a good start for me um i uh i am i'm trying to not get another job too too quickly uh i would imagine that um you know, I, I might, that might change at, at some point this summer. I'll, I'll, I'll be ready, uh, to, to go back full time again, but, uh, I'm trying to take a, a month or two of, 
um, of relaxing and enjoying. And every time I've met somebody um, or uh, I map anything, the CRO that we had hired uh, basically the day before our acquisition uh, had just come off, you know, a stint where he took three months off or something like that. I'm like, boy, am I jealous. And then, and then, you know, when the opportunity arose and I told my wife, I might try it, you know, after a little panic um, and then, uh, and then some thought around it. Um, everybody I've discussed it with said, I, I regret not doing it when I could and, you know, you should and so on and so forth. So um, I, uh, I might be doing a little bit of consulting and um, and probably not a whole lot else. <laughs> sounds like uh, it sounds like a good deal, and you just made everybody listening incredibly jealous. Where, where can people get a hold of you? It sounds like you've got some time on your head. So where can people get a hold of you? They want to reach out and say hi. Is there? Do you accept LinkedIn requests or? Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. What's, what's the best way to do yeah. that? So it's uh, yeah. Kramer's K R A M E R, right? Correct. Yeah. So LinkedIn yeah, LinkedIn's, is LinkedIn's great. And I'm on, you know, I still spend way too much time online and, and keep trying to keep up with, with things. Uh, you know, I, I certainly noticed that uh, um, Map Anything's acquisition by Salesforce almost became old news, you know, as soon as they announced they were acquiring Tableau for $15 billion. So um, I try to keep up on these things and uh, there's always, always uh, more there's always more folks out there for you to talk to that, that are going through this. So, um, but, uh, yeah, LinkedIn's a great way to get a hold of me. I'm happy to talk to folks. Um, I, uh, and I do expect, uh, fully, uh, to, you know, to start a search later in the summer, um, would be my guess, uh, either that or if the consulting thing picks up more than, uh, you know, more than a job's worth, uh, maybe we'll head down that path. Well, Ken, we'll, we'll be watching from afar. Thanks for joining us. All right. Thank you, John. Appreciate it. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to Built to Sell Radio with John Warlow. For complete show notes with links to additional resources, visit builttosell.com slash blog. John is the founder of the Value Builder System. To find out how to improve the value of your business by 71%, visit valuebuildersystem.com. John is also the author of Built to Sell, creating a business that can thrive without you, and the automatic customer, creating a subscription business in any industry. Connect with John at facebook.com slash built to sell or on Twitter at John Warlow, W-A-R-R-I-L-L-O-W. Thanks for listening.